welcome to Questions You're Not Asking. My name is Tom French. And I'm Chris Morphew. And Chris and I are writing a book with responses to a bunch of absurd questions about God and the Bible that you're probably not asking and probably don't need an answer to. As we prepare to write this book, we are letting you in on our discussions. This week we are asking a question. I'm not going to tell you what it is because we're going to find out later when I ask Chris what the question is. And wow, so intriguing. Yeah. We had a discussion before we started recording about whether or not like, we're killing the suspense by letting people know. And, and this time I decided not to tell you all what the question is. We recorded the main parts of these podcasts months ago. In December. I looked it up for you. And now we jump back in and, you know, to keep things current, we have a little chat at the beginning. But in all of those pre-recorded bits, we always start with one of us asking the other one the question. Yeah. The, the problem is that whatever suspense there is, is lost because it's in the title of the podcast. That's true. Well, what is it then? What's our question for this week? <laughs> well, the question is, if Herod killed Jesus as a baby, would he still have died for the sins of the world? Well, I can't wait to find out the answer. But in the meantime, how was your week, Tom? What's been going on? Uh, well, uh, we passed 200 days in lockdown down here in Melbourne. Not 200 consecutive days. We've uh, split it up over a number of different lockdowns. And uh, we celebrated um, by, I didn't even notice, but I saw some people who I'm friends with on Facebook who celebrated with a cake. So that's nice. I didn't. What was your longest consecutive run of days? Uh, I think it was like, I don't know, it was 16 weeks. What's 16 times 7? Too many. Yeah. So that's that's how long it was. We're up to week nine, I think. So we've got a ways to go. I think we're going to break that record. Yeah, you might. I suspect that by the end of all of this, Sydney will hold the record for longest consecutive lockdown days in Australia. But Yeah, but we're going to we'll be see. like, well, we better keep the record of most lockdown days, even if we can't do longest consecutive days. That feels fair we can each have a medal <laughs> melbourne always had to try and be better than sydney when mm. i moved down here the the question that everybody asked me was so which is better melbourne or sydney which is weird because in sydney no one asks which is better melbourne or sydney because everyone in sydney just knows sydney is better that's true in melbourne it's it's all bravado right <laughs> like they know <laughs> like in international news when they talk about Melbourne, they're like, Melbourne, a city in the Australian state of Victoria or whatever. They don't need to do that about Sydney. Everyone knows Sydney. Yeah, it's true. Although I think the thing about Melbourne is it does a whole lot of things better than Sydney because it's working so hard to be better than Sydney. Mm. But you just can't compete with the harbour and the beaches and everything that Sydney didn't work for. What's the best thing like what's the thing where melbourne has the biggest edge over sydney uh, <laughs> yeah see <laughs> well the things that melbourne is better at like i think i don't know i'm not a coffee person but i hear the coffee is better here i nah. think melbourne does better with sport than sydney don't care uh yeah see I don't, i'm not much of a sport person melbourne's got better architecture than sydney that's true i also like how the cbd's all laid out in a grid oh yeah get driving around melbourne fantastic uh, although hook turns what's up with that yeah, I've never done a hook turn. I've lived here for almost five years now, and I've avoided every hook turn. If I see a hook turn, I just keep driving till I can find a place where I don't have go, to hook go turn. around all blocks one way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, is it right turns or left turns? 
uh, hook turn is a right turn, but from the left oh, lane. Oh, from the left lane. Yeah. Insane. If I lived in Melbourne, it'd be all straight and left, and everything would just be made up of straight and left. Yeah, but it's very easy to get places in Melbourne. It, like that, You can drive from one place in Melbourne to another place in Melbourne generally by turning right or left out of your street and then driving for a long time, then turning right or left into the street where you're going, and you're there. Pretty pretty good it's pretty good that's what melbourne has over sydney you can go straight for a long way (laughs) and then you get somewhere and our architecture all right all right yeah all right what's our question for this week no i ask you that one oh hey tom do you want to know what our question is for this week (laughs) okay yeah i do well (laughs) let's cut to the other bit and i'll tell you great So, Chris, what is our question for today? Our question for today, Tom, is if Jesus was killed by Herod as a baby, would he still have died for the sins of the world? Mm. I remember writing this question down. As I've been thinking about it, the problem I realized is that uh, we, like, it was just when I wrote it down, it was just a kind of theoretical, oh, yeah, that would be interesting. And then as I started thinking about it, I'm like, oh, man, we're thinking about killing babies, which is pretty dark. I mean, well, the Bible thinks about killing babies. It, yeah, it does. It just the Bible talks about killing babies more than any other book I've read. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, it's such a cheery book. I mean, I'm sure if you went into you know other ancient writings from the time, you would have found it because it seems like like most of the places I'm thinking of are just like God being like, hey. You know how you're killing babies because everyone else is killing babies. Don't do that. I've never told you to kill babies. I've told you not to kill babies. Please stop killing babies. That seems like most of the Bible's baby killing references. Most of them. Then there's the the (laughs) baby killing at Christmas, which is we should we should release we should have released this as our Christmas special (laughs) to get everyone in the festive spirit by talking about that time when a bunch of babies were murdered on the first christmas although was it still the first this is a side note was it still the first christmas no it was it was after it probably a while it could be up to like two years after it yeah so it could be the third christmas but yet it is in our narrative of the first christmas speaking of rather than just like talking in circles around the bit that we're talking about from the Bible, should we should we read it? And yeah, yeah. So, because I'm assuming when we say, "Hey, you remember when Herod killed all those babies and tried to kill Jesus?" Like some people are on board, but some people are like, "Oh, the Bible's even worse than I thought." So maybe we should clarify what we're talking about so we can um, all be on the same page. That's a good idea. Let's do that. Why don't I give the the backstory and then you can read read the actual bit yeah good do that all right so where we're up to in the story is that jesus has just been born and the wise men saw a star the wise men who were astrologer priests from persia saw were looking at the stars they were like oh there's there's a king that's been born in israel we better go visit him and so they come along with their gold frankincense and myrrh and they turn up in jerusalem and they're like hey Herod, who is the king of Israel, 
Uh, and they're like, Herod, where's this child? We want to go worship him. And Herod's like, oh, well, I don't know. And then they look up in the Bible. They find that the Bible predicts there's going to be in Bethlehem. So they head to Bethlehem. But Herod is very disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him because he doesn't like the fact that there might be a rival king that has just been born. There you go. Okay, so the wise men go see King Jesus. And then after they heard, so I'm going from Matthew chapter 2, verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Merry Christmas. Yeah, so that's not so cheery. And the- Merry Christmas, I should hasten to add, was my commentary, not a, <laughs> the final two words of the Bible passage. <laughs> the oldest and most reliable manuscripts do not include Merry Christmas. Yeah. So the question is then, Jesus, will he will go, go on to you know, grow up to be a man and then die at around the age of 33 years old on a cross where he has been executed by the Romans, sentenced to death by the Jews... Uh, ignored by King Herod, who is the, s- the son of this Herod, and allowed to be killed by Pilate, the, who is the the Roman. What's the what do we call him? Governor. Uh, the Not procurator. Governor. The word procurator comes to mind. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that when I was writing my book, How Do We Know Christianity Is Really True, I was very details oriented about what who Pilate was. But why don't I? look it up now on the google he was the fifth governor of the roman province of judea there we go so there you go governor or prefect oh the prefect yeah where am i getting the word procurator from that's probably a side issue um anyway (laughs) so jesus was not relevant so and then rose again after three days uh, and he died for the sins of the world. But the the question is then, how significant is it that he was actually killed on a cross when he was 33 at that point in his life? Because if he needed to die for the sins of the world, like if the curse of sin is that we are condemned to death because of that's the judgment upon us because of our sin, then wouldn't it be that all Jesus had to do is die, and he could have died in any any way. It didn't have to be on a cross at that particular time. So if Herod had come through and killed the babies and Jesus had been one of them, 
couldn't that have been enough? And couldn't um, he just have resurrected as a two-year-old rather than as a 33-year-old? Yeah. Well, actually, then that brings up an interesting issue because if you're a resurrected two-year-old, I know I always talk about resurrection powers, but they're very interesting to me. If you're a resurrected two-year-old with resurrection powers... I like that you you call them powers, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like if if you turn up and you're you've got your resurrection body and you mm. and it's different from your you know pre-resurrection body and you can do some crazy stuff, I'm going to call them powers. They're like superpowers, even if they're you know normal powers after the resurrection. Anyway, okay. So, is your question: Would Jesus be two forever? <laughs> no, that's not the question. No, it's just oh. like, what do you do with a two-year-old who can teleport? Yeah, okay, so we're back on this again. I feel like, are we? can we have one episode go by before you obsess over teleportation? <laughs> um, probably not. It's Apparently go- not. Yeah, no, that's, I, like, and again, I just feel like this is retreading old ground, but surely Jesus could have teleported if he chose to before the resurrection. That's true. Well, actually, this raises a whole side issue. I mean, I eventually, hopefully, will answer the actual question. But, like, <laughs> Jesus was fully God and fully human. Yeah. Well, and still is. But, like, he, so he grew up um, and his brain developed at the same point that, like, in the same way that a regular human brain develops, right? Yeah. And so he wasn't presumably lying there in the manger being, like, cool. So in 33, like, I'm out now. In 33 years, once I've grown up a bit, going to have to die on a cross. That's hard. Um, and like, you, you know, he wasn't processing adult or even like not even human adult thoughts, let yeah. alone fully fledged God thoughts because his divinity was expressed in the human baby person. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as a two year old, we know that Jesus never sinned. But like, okay, so for instance, I was hanging out with my niece today and she's like 18 months old and she's become obsessed with this clay duck that my parents have it's like a little i think it was originally like a a little um plant pot or something it's just like this clay duck with a hollow back and it had some plastic bags inside and she saw it up on the shelf and she's like duck and so i picked it up and she starts like i think she's trying to kiss it but like just sucking on the beak of this duck and she became (laughs) obsessed with this duck Anyway, my point is, like, her priorities are not adult priorities, right? And she'll just do stuff that, to me, is random and makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And so, if Jesus could tell up, like, did... I'm just, like, I, I guess I'm I'm just wondering about, like, did Jesus do anything miraculous as a toddler in that space where he had the power to do the miraculous, but he didn't have the like brain development in his humanity to make wise choices. Yeah. So like kind of like when Harry Potter does magic. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he doesn't know how to do magic. He just he just makes the glass disappear and Dudley, you know, is in with the snake or whatever whoever it happens. Um yeah, how, how did Jesus ever just do accidental miracles? Well, am I remembering this right? The part where um, Jesus and like goes down to see John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is like, "Did you ever make anything happen, Jesus?" 
anything you couldn't explain <laughs> and then he no no that's i'm getting my wires crossed anyway you're a um, messiah jesus <laughs> maybe we should just table this like put a pin in this discussion of like what was going on in jesus's childhood because i feel as though that's a side issue that is maybe i have lots of questions but maybe that, it's that, for another day that could be a whole nother episode okay well let's let's put that on the list but anyway the actual question now that we're deep in and have got nowhere <laughs> if jesus had been killed by herod at age 18 months two years old whatever yep would he still have died for the sins of the world mm. what do you think gut gut reaction Gut reaction is, yes, he would, as in, like, clearly that wasn't God's plan because that's not what happened. But I think if God had chosen to have to allow Jesus to die as a two-year-old, that still would have been sufficient to pay for our sin. We just would have potentially missed out on a whole bunch of other stuff that we now understand about Jesus. Oh, but mm, hang on, I have an objection to myself. But what do you, first? What do you think? Yeah, I I think I'm I think I'm similar. I think yes, because if that is what happened, then that would have been the plan. Because uh, clearly, there's a there was a lot of pre planning that went into Jesus dying on the cross. Like you can see it in all the prophecies beforehand. So, it's if he had if he had all been prophesied that he was going to die on the cross, and then Jesus died as a baby, then something's gone terribly wrong there with the sovereignty of God. But if that's the plan, then all Jesus had to do was die, and take the curse of sin upon himself, and he could have done that as a two-year-old because he was fully God and fully human, so everything was there. But uh, mm. there. Yeah, it would have been a very different Jesus that we were getting to know after that. Well, and so here was the thing. Here's the my other thought that I interrupted myself with. Could two-year-old Jesus have willingly died in that way? Like, it feels like that would have mm. been a very different scenario because a big part of my understanding of the crucifixion is while... Jesus didn't want to experience the crucifixion, and that's what you see in the garden. You see Jesus kind of asking God the Father, is there any other way to do this? But eventually he comes to the conclusion that no, there isn't, and so he allows it to happen. And at any point he could have opted out and you know decided to not die for us. Whereas if... Jesus was just murdered as a toddler. I'm not, I don't want to say it wouldn't have worked because as you say, if, if it had been God's plan, then I think you like, yeah, it would have worked. But I think there is something so profound in the fact that this was a choice that Jesus was in on and that he made. Yes. Before the beginnings of the universe as God, the son in his full glory and godness, but also in his humanity, he made that choice. Mm. And everything, you know, like you watch, like after the, um, after wrestling through it all in the garden, you watch the 
the trial and you watch his um, all of his behavior and his speech and his actions and everything through the whole passion narrative, like he's fully in control. He knows what he's doing and everything that's happening is happening because he allows it to. And so it is God the Father allowing it to happen, but it's also God the Son allowing it to happen. And I don't know whether you would have got that if Jesus had been killed by Herod. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, You, I don't think a two-year-old can willingly die for us. It would only have been pre-incarnate Jesus who made that decision, not, not baby Jesus. And so, like, if the question is, would it have worked... Yeah, I don't think you could, I don't think I'm, I'm not saying it couldn't, I'm not saying it wouldn't have been sufficient, but I think I'm saying that in his adult humanity, Jesus gives us more than just a a substitutionary sacrifice. He gives us a willing substitutionary sacrifice. Yes. So what do you think we gain then from him dying on a cross? 31 years later, as opposed to being killed as a toddler? Well, we get his whole life and ministry recorded in the Gospels, and so we get to see a lot more of what he was about and what his kingdom looked like, because through his miracles, through his teaching, through all of that, you get this really kind of beautiful and multifaceted vision of what the kingdom of God is. And I guess you could argue that Jesus could have done that anyway. You know, so let's say he was killed at two years old and then he rose again and then he grew up in obscurity and then he, you know, went and began his ministry. But I think the other thing that you lose is a huge chunk of the historical verifiability that we have you know because the cross was public because it was embroiled in all of this like political maneuvering because it happened when jesus was a known figure like there is so much historical evidence that when you dig into it you go oh this was this isn't just a story this is like a historical reality that jesus died and i think that you know, from a like, you know, as a as a Christian, I believe that all of God's word is is God's is God breathed. I believe that every part of Scripture is true, but from a secular perspective, the story of the Magi and Herod and the death of the kids in Bethlehem, like that's much more disputable. It is, yep. From a secular perspective, you know, we'd have a lot less. And, like, you know, selfishly from my 21st century perspective, we'd have a lot less to stand on in figuring out whether or not it was all true. Yeah. But I guess that that's maybe a side issue. What do you think? Like, first of all, do you do you agree that, like, if Jesus had died as a two-year-old, that it still would have functioned in the same way? Yeah, I think, I think so. Because I think it's, like, what was necessary was for a human and God... It was necessary for Jesus to be God and human and to die for us. Like, that that was the necessary part. But all, there's all the other stuff that adds um, richness to it and fits in with the system that has been set up by God for dealing with sin. 
like mm. like because like there's so much of the Old Testament that is pointing to the sacrificial death of Jesus, which the cross fulfills in lots of ways. Like so, there's the like the bit in Galatians where it talks about how cursed Jesus took the curse for us, um, because and cursed is anyone who is put to death on a pole, and Jesus does that for us. Like there's all all the the mm. fact that Jesus, you know, the lamb, there was a lamb that's job was to take away the sins of the world. Mm. Oh, sorry, just the sins of the people or to the Passover lamb. Like, all that kind of imagery had to be fulfilled in Jesus, which in many ways couldn't have been fulfilled by an innocent two-year-old, like, who has had no opportunity to sin and choose not to sin. And so they, this two-year-old would just have been a another innocent victim of a tyrant as opposed to a mm. a willing victim of of another tyrant <laughs> but of but one who willingly went and died the death of a criminal um so like yeah if the 2 year old jesus had died and then rose again 3 days later and then grew up with all these as a resurrected um person then you'd kind of have this kind of mystical story of Oh yeah, it's this this wonderful man died as a two year old and then came back and then mm. he did all these great miracles and then he rose into heaven and it's not mm. you wouldn't be like oh well he was one of us you would say oh he was he was this this holy man who was maybe never one of us and it's all just a story um, but a a real human Jesus who goes through all the things that we go through mm. can only go through that if he lives his life as a his whole life as a human like us yeah there is something so profound about how normal most of jesus life was like 30 years in obscurity just doing normal people stuff i was thinking about like as we were thinking through the question this passage came to mind so this is hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 to 18 since the children have flesh and blood he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people." Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. As you were talking, I was thinking about the story of Jesus' temptation in the desert and how, you know, as an adult, he was faced in this very literal way with the temptation of the enemy to turn away from God and to hold on to or to grasp for earthly power in earthly terms. And he chose not to do it. And that story or at least the way that I interpret that story is this kind of indicator of what Jesus' whole life is, which is in that situation, which is like his rerun of the Adam and Eve story. He makes a different call. He doesn't give in to the temptation. He doesn't decide to live life his own way. He doesn't decide to reinvent what's good and evil for himself he chooses to trust in his heavenly father and i think it's this like this incredibly powerful thing because the whole story of the bible is how 
we're all Adam and Eve. We all do the same evil in a different way. We all have a cho- when faced with the choice between living as God intended us to live and living lives of love towards him and towards others, we all choose to do something different. And in Jesus, through his entire life, you see him living in obedience to his father. And so I, I think we're, we're kind of in agreement that it would have worked if Jesus had died as a child. But I think that's so reductionistic. Like, you never see God just doing the bare minimum functional thing in the Bible. It's always like majestic and incredible and like the best possible version of anything that he could have done. And I think what you see in God the Father protecting his son from Herod is not him ensuring that it'll work because it has to, like he has to wait another 30 years for it to work. But you see him doing what he always does, which is making sure that his sovereign plan is enacted because it is the best plan. Do you, why, why, though, do you think then within that, that this is the best plan that God had, why couldn't Jesus have lived longer? Like, he could have died of old age, like lived a perfect life, died of old age, and still did it for us, or lived till he was 60 and then be martyred. Like, there are lots of old martyrs in church history. Mm. Why, why did it have to be when he was... 33 uh like he could have got a lot more done in that time and we could have seen like imagine like how many great you know books of the bible we could have extra had of jesus stories if you'd hung around more well i think if you asked luke about that he'd say that jesus did hang around more and that the book of acts that he wrote (laughs) was a you know the accounts of that first generation of Jesus followers um, experiencing Jesus not bodily with them, but um, by his spirit. But yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Like that, why is this the best plan? I mean, for one thing, you could ask that about anything that God does. Like, I think very often we can see why it's a good plan, but we will only ever be able to grasp at bits of why it's the best plan until Jesus returns and we see the whole thing. Mm. Um, but the, the old age thing is interesting. Like, do you think that that if Jesus had died of old age and then came back to life three days later, that, well, first of all, the reductionist question, would that have worked? And secondly, the kind of bigger question, why is that not what happened? Like, why did, why did God choose for Jesus to be killed by crucifixion rather than by old age? Yeah. Because when you think about it, death by old age is a more universal experience in some sense. Yeah. Although, maybe not. Maybe that's my white Western 21st century privilege talking. Because getting, like, dying in in brutality and pain has probably been the dominant human experience. And I'm just lucky and blessed that I have have been born into the time period and the, the... country that i've been born into yeah either either you know the violence and pain or or brutality and pain is what you said or um yeah like preventable diseases Mm. but jesus could have died of any of those things i guess but i think it 
I think it matters that he died not of old age or of even of a disease because it's like it, it had to be us that did it. Yeah. Like it didn't, obviously it didn't have to be, but what it, it achieves like so much more that the king of the universe is killed by his own creations. And as he's dying for us, he is praying for us and for our forgiveness, mm. or at least for the forgiveness of those who are putting him to death there and then. You know, and what what is the what is the message to all those people who have died brutally and died as innocent people, at least for innocence in in the scheme of the the powers of the world, as opposed to innocence before God. Mm. that Jesus was a victim of evil empire, an evil empire, and the victim of religion gone terribly wrong. Like, that's a message that is important for so many people to hear, maybe just not us in wealthy Australia, where things are pretty peaceful. And I think also, like, so far we have been talking about what Jesus' death accomplished pretty exclusively in terms of the atonement. Mm. And I think that is absolutely critical to our understanding of what Jesus' death did, that he, the innocent one, was killed so that we, the guilty, could live. But I think there is so much more than that. You know, like I think Jesus' whole life was lived in dialogue with other ways of understanding power and glory and how the world works and who is blessed and who's not and all of his teaching and even his death itself is this massive critique of the corrupt power systems of the world and i think in a sense like if jesus had been not death of old age but like if jesus had been killed by herod as a baby then there would have been some of that in there. You'd go, look, this is a power-hungry maniac who kills an innocent child to protect his own power, and yet, look, death could not hold him. Like, there's something really incredible about that, but I think what we see in Jesus' adult life is that on an even bigger scale. You know, you see the the religious authorities and the political authorities and these different groups who in any other time would have been enemies all unite around the cause of killing the one ever innocent person. And what we see, I think, in that is, like, that doesn't make the atonement any more functional, but what it shows us is this this picture of look at all of the other ways that human beings try to exercise power and control over others and over their own lives and look at how Jesus turns all of that upside down mm. you know and and so i think that there's so much there's so much more going on at the cross than just the atonement and so i may, and maybe that's what i'm getting at when i talk about like how like we don't want to be too reductionistic about the question like that Jesus is always up to more than than one thing at a time and so it's all well and good for us to say, yeah, he, if he died as a two-year-old, tick, our sins would be forgiven. But I think Jesus is on about not less than the forgiveness of our sins, but way more than the forgiveness of our sins. And we don't want to miss out on all of the other stuff that he's doing too. 
Yeah. Yeah, I've, I feel like we might have answered the question. Cool. I love it when we get to the end and it feels like we've answered one. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, yeah, I think we're. Ha- I'm happy to say, yes, he could have, you know, God could have achieved whatever he wanted to achieve uh, through the death of Jesus' baby, but this is the best way. And so this is the way he planned it from beginning of time. And so we can be thankful for that. And we can pay attention to it as we look at what Jesus was doing before his death. Um, and we look at what Jesus was doing in his death and what he was doing in his resurrection. That we go, if this is this is the best way, so why is it the best way? And we have to keep asking that question mm. and keep learning from it. Um, which would be a lot harder to do if it had happened to a two-year-old Jesus. And so there's so much. It's a gift that keeps keeps giving. <laughs> Such a cliche, but. But it's true, like you just keep looking at the cross and you keep looking at the life of Jesus and you keep discovering new things about what God is up to and and so we can keep appreciating it because of this is the way that God has chosen to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. I like that that idea of like we can take it for granted that the way that God does things is the best possible way of doing them. And so while it is fun and interesting to speculate about like, well, could he have done it this way instead? And would that have still worked? Yeah, I think what I want to keep coming back to is like, okay, given that this is the plan as it has been enacted is the best possible version of what God could have done. Let's keep diving into and seeing more and more of the beauty of what God did do because it is always going to be far and away better than anything else that he might have done that might have still worked, but there's a reason God does what he does, how he does it. And so we can kind of look at it from that lens and be awed at this God who doesn't just do the bare minimum, but who goes all in and does abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. I wonder if it's kind of as well, like sort of analogous to you know that idea I'm like I know this is not Sally Lloyd Jones wasn't the one that first kind of spotted this but it's in the Jesus storybook bible and she like in the story of the return of Jesus she talks about this idea that the world you know when it's redeemed will be more beautiful for once having been so sad this idea that you know there is a version of events where Jesus could have just not let where God could have just made it so that sin couldn't enter the world at all Mm. but what's more beautiful like when it's all said and done to look back and go everything was great it was always great guess god really loves us like that's great that's really cool but what's even better is when it's all said and done to be able to look back and go look at the love of god that was willing to go to the cross to save us from the mess that we made Mm. And I think that, you know, at every step you see God doing not just what it takes to functionally get it done, but he does over and above that. And it's always directed at us understanding more and more of his love and grace and beauty and justice and goodness and power. And so, yeah, I'm glad he didn't die when he was two and not just because it's sad when a baby dies, but because God's way is always the best way. 
Amen. I don't. I don't. I don't think I've got anything to add. I think that was good. All right. Well, pleasure podcasting with you, Tom. Pleasure podcasting with you, Chris. Hey, Chris. If people want to find more of your stuff, where can they find it? Uh, they can go to chrismorphew.com to find out about my books. They can go to my YouTube channel. If you just search for Chris Morphew on YouTube, you'll find the daily videos I am making to document my slow descent into madness as the lockdown drags on and on for what feels like forever. And you can find me on social media in most of the places. And that's about it. Tom, where can they find out more about you? Oh, they can go to tomfrench.com.au. They can find, you know, my books and stuff. Or find me on the interwebs on the socials at TWFrench, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. That sounds like it. You have a very consistent brand identity on social media. TWFrench? Yeah, because I'm Chris Morphew on Twitter. I'm Crispy Words on Instagram. I'm Chris Morphew, author on Facebook. Yeah. It's a mess. I put in a lot of work, at least to get by YouTube TW French. I, I, I was stuck with Mr. Blob as my YouTube name, and I had to <laughs> do a lot of fiddling with YouTube to try and get them to give me a new name. But I got there because I wanted TW French. I'm proud of you. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't have Twitter. I can't have TW French, and that's why I don't tweet. It's not possible. Twitter's a hole anyway. You don't want to go there. <laughs> I do not want to go there. All right. Should we leave? Because people probably don't need to hear. Uh, yeah. Thanks. I think that's a that's a strong finish, Tom. Thanks for sticking around uh, if you've made it this far. Oh, gosh. I'll see you next week, Tom. Bye. Bye.